Hi, everyone. Welcome to Spark My Muse. I'm your host, Lisa DeLay, and you're listening to Soul School, Lesson 212. This is a reading and reflection based on last week's episode with author and professor Beth Allison Barr and her book, The Making of Biblical Womanhood, How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. That was such a fun episode we did, and having grown up in a conservative Christian environment, so much of the book and her research tracked exactly with how I grew up. Swimming in that water at the time, I could only feel that suffocation, but I couldn't understand it for what it was. And I just wanted to read pieces of her book that we couldn't delve into so much in our conversation, but I think is worth mentioning. One of the things that has happened in conservative Christianity, but in Christianity in general and in the culture at large, is there have been a lot of reckoning that has come and a great revelation of sexual predation by men and institutions and cover-ups. And this great reckoning is the fruits of a hierarchy that is poisoned and that is ungodly and that is not the way of the kingdom of God. And it is good that we have this reckoning, and it is like a refining fire. On page 173, Beth writes, Long before the Me Too movement unveiled allegations of sexual assault against him, Kevin Spacey played a character in The Usual Suspects, a 1995 film. Spacey's character delivers a line I have never forgotten. Quote, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Unquote. Beth writes, I haven't forgotten the line because I disagree with it. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing Christians that oppression is godly. And this really refers to these terms and these systems that occurred as a pushback to feminism of the 70s and 80s. This pushback is where we got terms of biblical manhood and womanhood and the terms egalitarian and complementarian. Complementarian was a rebranded word for patriarchy because patriarchy, using that word to speak of legal, economic, and social power for men, that is the norm throughout human history and the norm for abuse, was an unsavory word. And so it was rebranded as complementarianism to put an emphasis on equal worth before God, but separate roles. The separated roles, of course, were separated along gender, sexual body parts, really. And the roles gave more power to men, especially to husbands. Another thing we encounter with this movement and this pushback that underscores biblical manhood and womanhood over our equality in Christ and, and using talents and gifts as ways to determine our calling for ministry and vocation in the body of Christ, instead using the boxes of sex and gender, it has a direct correlation to racism and white supremacy claims. So on 208, we can understand this more thoroughly by going back in history. On page 208, we read, 
in order for early modern Europeans to biblically justify their white superiority, they had to champion the subservience of both women and black people. As Katie Cannon explains, quote, ideas and practices that favored equal rights of all people were classified as invalid and sinful because they conflicted with the divinely ordained structure that posited inequality between whites and blacks. The institutional framework that required black men, women, and children to be treated as chattel, as possessions rather than human beings, was understood as being consistent with the spirit, genius, and precepts of the Christian faith. Unquote. And really that means that a lot of the New Testament would have to be ignored or redefined, and then those claims of inerrancy used as weapons against any kind of challenge to those decisions that favored white men in powerful positions over anybody else. Reading on on page 208, white male patriarchy walks hand in hand with racism, and it always has. The same biblical passages used to declare black people unequal are used to declare women unfit for leadership. Patriarchy and racism are interlocking structures of oppression. Isn't it time we get rid of both? Once again, I propose that we stop fighting to make Christianity look like the world around us and start fighting to make it look like the world God inspired Paul to show us was possible. Quote, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 And finally, reading from page 216, Beth writes, When men say biblical womanhood, they mean Christian patriarchy. The only reason it continues to flourish is because women and men, just like you and me, continue to support it. What if we all stopped supporting it? What if, instead of letting denominational divides and peripheral theological beliefs continue to separate us, we stood together as people of faith who believe that God has called us to change the world? Historically, one of the greatest problems for women is that we do not remember our past and we do not work together to change our future. We do not stand together, but what if we did? What if we heeded Beth Moore's plea to grapple with the entire texts of how women are portrayed throughout the Bible, not just a few selected Pauline texts above all else? Moore writes, We must search the attitudes and practice of Christ Jesus himself towards women. He is our Lord. He had women followers. What if we actually did this and refused to let 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2 drown out every other scriptural voice? What if we stopped forgetting our past and remembered that women, just like us, preached their way through the landscape of Christian history? What if we remembered that we are surrounded by a cloud of female witnesses and that we will never stand alone? What if we listen to Dorothy L. Sayers' argument that she, quote, can never find any logical or strictly theological reason against women's ordination, unquote. 
What if we realize that God has never stopped calling women to do God's work as preachers, teachers, missionaries, evangelists, and authors? What if we realize that when we look at the whole of the global world, it simply doesn't make sense to define occupations by gender? What does make sense is Paul's reminder that all of our work is important and that by doing what we are called to do, we build up the body of Christ together. What if we finally stood together, united by our belief in Jesus, instead of divided by arguments over power and authority? What if we followed the example of Jesus who let Mary of Bethany sit at his feet like a male disciple and who overruled his disciples to make sure he heard the words of the woman of Canaan? What if we realized that even when the male disciples pushed women away, Jesus always listened to women speak? Complementarianism is patriarchy, and patriarchy is about power. Neither have been about Jesus. I don't remember when I started it, but for a long time now, I have been dismissing my students from class with this phrase, go, be free. I think that is a fitting way to end this book as well. Jesus set women free a long time ago. Isn't it finally time for evangelical Christians to do the same? Go, be free. And that is how I would like to end 2021 on this podcast. People who love you want to empower you. They want to set you free, not limit your humanity and sidestep your talents and gifts. People who want to limit you because of your sex or gender are manipulating you. It's time that we set ourselves free. If our brothers and sisters aren't willing to set us free, we must set ourselves free. In Jesus, we are free indeed. So here I am signing off for 2021, wishing you a healthy and happy 2022, and wishing you blessing and peace.